Chapter Fourteen of Maggie, A Girl of the Streets. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daisy Fifty Five. Maggie, A Girl of the Streets by Stephen Crane. Chapter Fourteen. In a hilarious hall there are twenty-eight tables and twenty-eight women, and a crowd of smoking men. Violent noise was made on a stage at the end of the hall by an orchestra composed of men who looked as if they had just happened in. Sword waiters ran to and fro, swooping down like hawks on the unwary in the throng, clattering along the aisles with trays covered with glasses, stumbling over woman's skirt, and charging two prices for everything but beer, all with a swiftness that blurred the view of the coconut palms and dusty monstrosities painted upon the walls of the room. A bouncer, with an immense load of business upon his hands, plunged about in the crowd, dragging bashful strangers to prominent chairs, ordering waiters here and there, and quarreling furiously with men who wanted to sing with the orchestra. The usual smoke cloud was present, but so dense that heads and arms seemed entangled in it. The rumble of conversation was replaced by a roar, plenteous oath heaved through the air. The room rang with the shrill voices of women bubbling over with drink or laughter. The chief element in the music of the orchestra was speed. The musicians played in intent fury. A woman was singing and smiling upon the stage, but no one took notice of her. The rate at which the piano, cornet, and violins were going seemed to impart wildness to the half-drunken crowd. Beer glasses were empty at a gulp and conversation became a rapid chatter. The smoke ebbed and swirled like shadowy river hurrying toward some unseen falls. Pete and Maggie entered the hall and took chairs at a table near the door. The woman who was seated there made an attempt to occupy Pete's attention and, failing, went away. Three weeks had passed since the girl had left home. The air of spangle-like dependence had been magnified and showed its direct effect in the particular off-handedness and ease of Pete's ways toward her. She followed Pete's eyes with hers, anticipating with smiles, gracious looks from him. A woman of brilliance and audacity, accompanied by a mere boy, came into the place and took seats near them. At once... Peter sprang to his feet, his face beaming with glad surprise. By God, there's Nellie, he cried. He went over to the table and held out an eager hand to the woman. Why, hello, Peter, my boy, and how are you? She said, giving him her fingers. Maggie took instant note of the woman. She perceived that her black dress fitted her to perfection. Her linen collar and cuffs were spotless. Hand gloves were stretched over her well-shaped hands. A hat of prevailing fashion perched jauntily upon her dark hair. She wore no jewelry and was painted with no apparent paint. She looked clear-eyed through the stares of the men. Sit down and call your lady friend over, 
she said cordially to Pete. At his beckoning, Maggie came and sat between Pete and the mere boy. I thought you were going away for good, began Peter once. When did you get back? How about them buffalo business turn out? The woman shrugged her shoulders. Well, he didn't have as many stamps as he tried to make out. So I shook them all. That's all. Well, I'm glad to see he's back in the city, said Pete with awkward gallantry. He and the woman entered into a long conversation, exchanging reminiscences of days together. Maggie sat still, unable to formulate an intelligent sentence upon the conversation, and painfully aware of it. She saw Pete's eyes sparkled as he gazed upon the handsome stranger. He listened smilingly to all she said. The woman was familiar with all his affairs, asked him about mutual friends, and knew the amount of his salary. She paid no attention to Maggie, looking toward her once or twice, and apparently seeing the wall beyond. The mere boy was sulky. In the beginning he had welcomed with acclamations the additions. Let's all have a drink. What do you take, Nell? And you, Miss, what's your name? Have a drink, Mr. You know what I mean. He had shown a sprightly desire to do the talking for the company, and tell all about his family. In a loud voice he declaimed on various topics. He assumed a patronizing air toward Pete. As Maggie was silent, he paid no attention to her. He made a great show of lavishing wealth upon the woman of brilliance and audacity. Do keep still, Freddy. You gibber like an ape, dear said the woman to him. She turned away and devoted her attention to Pete. Well, have many a good time together again, eh? Sure, Mike, said Pete, enthusiastic at once. Say, whispered she, leaning forward, let's go over to Billy's and have a hell of a time. Well, it's this way, see, said Pete. I got this lady friend here. Oh, to help of her, argued the woman. Pete appeared disturbed. All right, she said, nodding her head at him. All right for you. We'll see the next time you ask me to go anywheres with you. Pete squirmed. Say, he said beseechingly, come wild me a mint, and I'll tell you why. The woman waved her hand. Oh, that's all right. You didn't explain, you know. You wouldn't come merely because you wouldn't come. That's all there is of it. To Pete's visible distress, she turned to the mere boy, bringing him speedily from a terrific rage. He had been debating whether it would be the part of a man to pick a quarrel with Pete, or would he be justified in striking him savagely with his beer glass without warning. But he recovered himself when the woman turned to renew her smilings. He beamed upon her with an expression that was somewhat tipsy and inexpressibly tender. Say, shake that Bowery J, requested he in a loud whisper. Freddy, you are so droll, she replied. Pete reached forward and touched the woman on the arm. Come out a minute while I tells ye why I can't go with you. You do me dirt, Nell. I never taught you do me dirt, Nell. Come on, will you? He spoke in tones of injury. Why? I don't see why I should be interested in your explanations, 
said the woman with a coldness that seemed to reduce Pete to a pulp. His eyes pleaded with her. Come out in a minute, wise I tell you. The woman nodded slightly at Maggie and the mere boy. Excuse me. The mere boy interrupted his loving smile and turned a shriveling glare upon Pete. His boyish countenance flushed and he spoke in a whine to the woman. Oh, I say, Nellie, this isn't a square deal, you know. You aren't going to leave me and go off with that duffer, are you? I should think. Why, you dear boy, of course I'm not, cried the woman affectionately. She bended over and whispered in his ear. He smiled again and settled in his chair as if resolved to wait patiently. As the woman walked down between the rows of tables, Pete was at her shoulder, talking earnestly, apparently in explanation. The woman waved her hands with steady airs of indifference. The door swung behind them, leaving Maggie and the mere boy seated at the table. Maggie was dazed. She could dimly perceive that something stupendous had happened. She wondered why Pete saw fit to remonstrate with the woman pleading for forgiveness with his eyes. She thought she noted an air of submission about her Lenorn Pete. She was astounded. The mere boy occupied himself with cocktails and a cigar. He was tranquilly silent for half an hour. Then he bestirred himself and spoke. Well, he said, sighing, I knew this was the way it would be. There was another stillness. The mere boy seemed to be musing. She was pulling me leg. That's the whole amount of it, he said suddenly. It's a blooming shame the way that girl does. Why, I spent over two dollars in drinks tonight, and she goes off with that plug ugly who looks as if he's been hit in the face with a corn die. I call it rocky treatment for a fellow like me. Here, waiter, bring me a cocktail and make it damn strong. Maggie made no reply. She was watching the doors. It's a mean piece of business, complained the mere boy. He explained to her how amazing it was that anybody should treat him in such a manner. But I'll get square with her, you bet. She won't get far ahead of yours truly, you know, he added, winking. I'll tell her plainly that it was blooming mean business and she won't come it over me with any of her now Freddy dears. She thinks my name is Freddy, you know, but of course it ain't. I always tell these people some name like that because if they got into your right name, they might use it sometime, understand? Oh, they don't fool me much. Maggie was paying no attention. Being attentive upon the doors, the mere boy relapsed into a period of gloom, during which he exterminated a number of cocktails with a determined air, as if relying defiantly to fate. He occasionally broke forth into sentences composed of infectives joined together in a long string. The girl was still staring at the doors. After a time, the mere boy began to see cobwebs just in front of his nose. He spurred himself into being agreeable and insisted upon her having a charlie russe and a glass of beer. There's gone, he remarked. There's gone. He looked at her through the smoke well. Shay, little girl. We might as well make best of it. We ain't such bad looking girl, you know. Not half bad. 
can't come up to nil though no can't do it well i should say not nil fine looking girl fair fine any fine you look damn bad alongside her but by yourself ain't so bad have you do it anyhow nil gone only you left not bad though maggie stood up i'm going home she said then the mere boy started eh what home he cried struck with amazement i beg pardon did he say home i am going home she repeated great god what a hell of a struck demanded the mere boy of himself stupefied in a semi-comatose state he conducted her on board an uptown car obstinately paid her fare leered kindly at her through the rear window and fell off the steps end of chapter fourteen recording by daisy fifty five